1: Everything I know not to do, I know from watching Don Valentine. <laughs> if he can do it, I can
0: fucking do it. It's time! The commander is here!
2: What an ovation for Commander Sterling! Making the In. Commander Sterling is here! The galaxies have aligned! The pansexual <laughs> princess is here in North what, a, what an ovation!
0: What a moment!
2: Well that's better than anything I got in America! Fuck America! Fuck America! You're home, Commander!
1: Newcastle, England! North wrestling faithful! Let's Rejoice! Now come on. I
0: know you've been drinking enough to
2: rejoice harder than that. Rejoice! Commander! Rejoice! 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 What's lovely is, uh, I'm recording this a few days after Clash of the Castle. My voice was fucked. Until today, the day that I was due to chat to Commander Stephanie Sterling, it has come back at the right time. So, Commander, how the devil are you? I am doing
1: okay. I am doing fine. After all, I am. I mean, why wouldn't you be okay if you were the pangalactic princess of pansexual pandemonium, the super heavyweight supervillain, the poly antagonist, a trans femme, they them paragon of non-binary finery, the estro general, the envy to envy, achromatic, dramatic, charismatic, mildly asthmatic, fanatic of cinematic acrobatics, host of the long running popular cultaholic series, Rest Sterling. Yes, Commander, you are.
2: <laughs> stephanie sterling <laughs> it's about time Sterling came back it's livid, right living yeah well wel- welcome back to cultaholic like oh, it's you... a lovely drop of Imto. is that oh <laughs> that's what they said but it's uh it's lovely to have you back with us because People who have who have supported and suffered with us for a long, long time will remember Ress Sterling. Uh, and you you are a, a much brighter star in the cosmos on the on the planet YouTube right now, and we're going to talk all about that as we go through. Before we started, we must let you in on the secret. You're on zero sleep for this, so it could yeah, go one or two ways. Yeah,
1: I've been sleeping with. I think I'm I think I'm in the hypermanic phase of hypermanic uh, depression, um, so I uh, yeah I've not been sleeping much.
2: Um is, this, a, is I, this happen every so often where you'll just go through phases where you just yeah, don't sleep?
1: Yeah, there's there's like these phases where like I'm in bed by 8 p.m. and sleeping a lot and then like I'll be up at four at the latest, like four a.m. Um, and apparently lately just not sleeping at all. Uh earlier this week I was awake for over 36 hours. Um Yeah, yeah. I I almost got to sleep at 6am and then started having hallucinations as a result of the sleep deprivation, which deprived me of more sleep. Um, Not quite quite so bad this time. Uh, I have been up all night. Uh, I did. I think I might have caught a couple, like an hour or two of sleep, maybe. Um, You're so also, I'm a bit sweaty, sorry really about tell. that. It's quite warm in here and I insisted on wearing a jacket to look fancy.
2: <laughs> it's muggy everywhere at the moment. I can't bear it. Um, I'm really struggling. Because yeah. there gets I get to a point where I go like, it's chucking it down outside. Like, I, when I step outside, it's cold. When I step into a building, I am boiling. Like, am I dying? Is this, <laughs> should I be worried about this? <laughs> it's like, oh no, other people are as well. That's absolutely fine. Um, One thing I think, we've had a really muggy really hot summer here in the uk uh, the one thing that i know you'll miss from the states is ac we don't yes. do that over here
1: <laughs> yes it's been my uh my first summer in uh 14 years without air conditioning i am in hell <laughs> uh, it it sucks um but you know grid and bear I suppose. You do what you do there's a lot of yeah. good
2: stuff that comes from you being back in the UK which we're going to talk. about. I mean I've about.
1: got a, a new place now with some like roominess to it which has helped because for the past eight months I've been um, effectively homeless because uh, I moved back to the UK from the US after a very long time away um, and because the um, housing market like so much in Britain is very very prejudiced mm-hmm. um, I just couldn't get a place Uh, Either I was not a good fit for the landlord's liking, Um, one of them didn't like my job, Uh, my employment status was not what he was looking for. Uh, A lot of them would um, not respect my proof of income, because my income was earned outside of the UK. Um, So they were like, you know, we need this, this and this as proof that you've earned money. And I'm like, well, I've got like the IRS documents and like credit scores from the US and because they're so terrified of a foreign person like having a house like even someone like me who's still a british citizen as well as an american one um couldn't get a place uh so for eight months it's been me at my partner and their other partners place uh with the kids um so it's 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 been an interesting year yeah, I, it sounds like it has yeah. been. Is it? I got a really you, nice place now with um, three separate murder basements.
2: Brilliant! Uh, you never just, have too many this, murder basements, right? Just this weird,
1: creepy network uh, of murder basements. It's <laughs> it's it's a really nice place. Was
2: that on the on the, the the document for it when you viewed it by the letting agent? Like comes with with multiple fitted murdered basements. Uh, they didn't use the word murder basement.
1: Um, and they went with the slightly more PC, <laughs> some would say woke, um, basement <laughs> chambers.
2: <laughs> oh, it's the same thing. It's yeah. the same thing. We, uh, there's a show on Netflix at the moment called How to Build a Sex Dungeon. And my good lady and I have been fascinated by it. We had no interest in finding anywhere with a basement in our house hunt. And now we are. And it's just oh, like, just looks yeah. like a lot of fun. Looks like We something that we should do. Well, um, so we're looking. If you want
1: to try before you buy. I can convert one of my murder basements into a sex murder basement.
2: That'll um, be brilliant. Thank yeah, you,
1: you can try try it on for size. Um, with, with,
2: with the object of it being a murder basement, there's there's not much try. It's more just do before you go. Yeah. <laughs> which is again one we can cross one we can cross but hey look we are here to talk about sex dungeons and murder basements obviously commander but we are here as well to talk about wrestling and in particular three wrestling matches that you would watch while stranded metaphorically on a desert island Um, we're going to go through each match one by one and talk about where you were and what you were doing when you watched them and why you chose them what would you like your first match to be Stephanie
1: uh Well, obviously, I I would have chosen uh, a match from Spectrum Wrestling's Rejoice, uh, um, which is a co-founded event, um, co-founded by myself and my partner, Phoenix. Uh, which will be on September 24th in Sheffield at PPW's facility, uh, their uh, South Bank um, warehouse facility. It'll be live streamed at Twitch TV slash uh, Jim Sterling. And tickets are available at buytickets.at slash Spectrum Wrestling. It's going to be really good. Uh, We got talent like Gene Money, man like Darius, Gia Adams, uh, Mercedes Blaze, Harley Hudson. Um, It's going to be good. So, yeah, uh, that's that bit.
2: I applaud Smoothly. the plug dead early. Like it was just like smooth like butter. Just rolled on in there. We will no, I, we, we I've will I gotta def- get it in. I'm trying to lose as little money as possible on this. Thousand <laughs> like percent. We will we will defo talk about it more though. That's yeah, not for sure. that's yeah. not a one and done, because I really wanna get into the weeds on that. Um but w- how about your first match. Right, oh, sadly, it Sally can't be anything uh from there, but what would you yep. like your match to be?
1: So, first match, um I was trying to think of things that because you know. The conceit of this show isn't necessarily the ones you'll really bring because you mm. want to have it interesting as well. Um, so this one is like it's it would definitely be in the running. Um, but one match that has always fascinated me since I saw it, um, when it aired, uh, was Kurt Angle versus Shane McMahon from uh King of the Ring. Oh, god, uh, I want to say 2001. 2001, 2000, 2001 um just a stupid match <laughs> just an absolutely bafflingly <laughs> stupid <laughs> ill advised match that i have personal fond memories of, because I was in college at the time and um, me and my mates would sort of gather around my friend Peter's Nan's house, um, stay up late uh, till, you know, what what was it, like four in the morning or whenever those things finished, um, watching uh, WWE pay-per-views, because his Nan had Sky after it stopped, after they all stopped airing on channel four. So yeah, yeah, uh, and I just remember the 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 atmosphere in the room as we watched it was just like our jaws on the floor as cut Ankle tried to throw Shane McMahon through some glass.
2: Do you know the story behind that glass?
1: Uh, I should have brushed up on it oh I, no no I no there's confidently no confidently like i i remember this no, I
2: that do you're, know you're, there you're is forgiven for it you're forgiven for not knowing because uh, matthew greg and i we do a, a smackdown review every week mm-hmm. uh, Matthew from and botchamania uh, and we just watched king of the ring 2001 just the other day and uh, the story goes that they did when they were testing the pyro for the event that the glass at the at the entranceway shattered so they went oh, okay. Well, well, we can't do that for the opening. So we'll put some we'll put some stronger glass in, and then we must remember to swap <laughs> it out for the other the sugar glass later on. We must remember to do that. Anyway, they didn't remember to do that, and Shane McMahon <laughs> just got battered, being thrown through real glass multiple yes. times. Well, eventually, f- thrown through it. Eventually,
1: eventually. thrown it to begin with. <laughs> um, so yeah, this match is. When I think of Attitude Era Matches, like it's not one of the most famous ones. Um, there are many, many more famous ones, mm-hmm. but it's one that always sticks out in my mind. Um, back then I really liked Shane McMahon. Obviously, it's weird to say that these days, mm-hmm. but back then, like, I really appreciated this guy who was just Going to, again, a stupid and ill-advised degree to prove himself. Uh, You know, this is when he was doing big bumps and falls and things. And uh, this match with Angle was one of the ones where um, you could tell he was just really trying to get a chip off his shoulder, really trying to demonstrate um, that he could go, uh, as it were. Uh, And the match starts off fine enough. Um, Kurt Angle throwing Shane McMahon around. Um, Shane McMahon getting in his, you know, punches that never got better uh, after all this time. They're still exactly the same, you go back and watch them, they're still exactly the same as they are like 20 odd years later. And that's fine you know it's it's fairly standard fare and and then a trash can comes out and it's pitting each other with that for a bit which I always liked Uh, and then um things take a little turn when they get out the ring and Kurt Angle takes Shane over to the glass and we're all thinking oh he's gonna go through the easily shatterable glass And then cut angle grabs Shane McMahon, sets him up for an overhead belly to belly, gets him over the head, and then other things happen to the head.
2: <laughs> well, a, a lot. It's weirdly everything and nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we laugh so, yeah. because he's fine. We laugh because he's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um basically that. hits the glass, doesn't go through it, and then just falls straight down head first onto the concrete with a thud that lives with me to this day. It was the, a flat. Like, we've all heard it in our life, more times than we ever want to hear it, which is more than once. That familiar, as a kid, I hear it all the time because kids have no sense of self-preservation. Their heads are destined to meet concrete at any given opportunity. That hard yet wet yet dry thud. It's its a very special noise. A <laughs> uh, very special noise indeed. Um, and you'd think that'd be it. You'd think that's match over until... Shane McMahon says do it again quite clearly Um, I forget if it's at this point but during this little exchange um, at some point you very clearly hear Shane just like do it again (laughs) Uh, so he does it again Um, does get him through the glass eventually uh, and that's plenty that's in that's it right You've proved your point. You've gone through the glass. Jobs are good. And everyone go, oh wait, he's picking him up to throw him through another (laughs) one. Lovely stuff. Grab him for the belly to belly. Over the head. Whack. Splat. Again, On the
2: side of the glass.
1: Just just sliding down. Just no dignity to it whatsoever. Um, Picks him up again. (laughs) Goes to do it again. Splat. Doesn't work again. At this point Kurt Angle realizes that over, overhead belly-to-belly suplexes and glass just aren't gonna be good friends this night. So he just picks him up and just hurls him bodily through it so that presumably so that Shane can do most of the, uh, the, the work there in getting him <laughs> through the glass, which to his credit he does, um, bless him. Um, and again, like that's it. You, you don't need much more for a match. And the then match it continues,
2: doesn't it? <laughs> and then
1: they decide to have more match. They get back to the ring. And then there's spots like with, with trash can lids now. Um, Kurt Angle just like smacking shine in their head with a trash can lid. His head's had enough, I think, at this point. And this is where it's like, it's like so many attitude era matches. You go back and look at it and you're like. Mate, we, we know what happens to skulls now like we we know about CTE and, and the, the risk of concussions and whatnot. And back when I was a um, like 16, 17 year old back then I'm like oh that looks like so much fun I'm going to be a wrestler when I grow up and I'm going to get hit in the head with a chair because that seems easy <laughs> um, it's, not. it's um, not I mean I've I've taken a chair um, to the head in a very controlled, worked format. Um, And it ended up hitting me harder than it should have. And it's not good.
2: And that was with a lot of restraint. Um, How responsible was this match uh, in in your decision to to want to become a wrestler?
1: um, If at all. I think there was quite a bit of inspiration from Shane McMahon in general, um, because, you know, I was never a a fit person. Um, I've been getting fitter in the past couple of years, uh, especially as I've been training more, Um, but seeing non-wrestlers specifically, uh, stepping up and doing matches was always something that interested me. And this is something that that spoke to me a lot when I got into wrestling, but wasn't a wrestler when I was a manager. Uh, in the United States Uh, I wanted to be more involved with matches predominantly because there are stories I wanted to tell that I just couldn't quite tell from the sidelines so seeing um, non-wrestlers in wrestling matches and how those matches change and are worked around um, to accommodate for that uh, is something that was quite influential to me Um, so Something like this was, I mean, it definitely embedded itself, uh, like so much glass in Shane McMahon's head. Um <laughs> definitely was sort of burrowed in deep there. Um, so I would say I had some, I, I don't think it was like the match where I looked at it and said, I want to be a wrestler. Thank you, please. Um, but it was definitely inspirational, um, which no one should say that match, like we say that, how responsible was that match? In terms of safety, that match was not responsible at all. No. Um, so as I've gotten older and and sort of, certainly the older I get, the more aware I am of my own mortality. Um So I don't take inspiration from the violent aspects like I used to, um, but it's still just a very memorable match to me. It's still one that I watch with, perhaps grim fascination, but fascination nonetheless, it's one I can go back and watch just because there's a lot of memories attached to it. Uh,
2: one of those memories you were saying was um, going over to your friend's Nan's house. She had Sky uh, after college to watch it. What were you studying at college?
1: What uh, was the plan? Performing Arts and Drama. Hmm. Um, which was fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, was, was, no, there,
2: was there plans to, to go into that? World uh, at that point.
1: my plan was to get into comedy originally
2: um i really like
1: sketch comedy um you know i grew up watching the fast show and and harry enfield and the league of gentlemen later on um and that That was something I wanted to do growing up. And I um, had a friend in college, Leo, who we would put on sketch shows and stuff. And we tried to do that in London a little bit. Uh, Like we did a show at the Canal Cafe where the League of Gentlemen used to do their first shows. And that went disastrously. Um, Tried my hand at stand-up a little bit. um, But found out in time I just didn't have the zeal for it. I just didn't have enough passion to pursue it. And then eventually fell into doing, you know, games, media and online content and kind of found an outlet for performance that way. Um, And then didn't come to pursue anything in wrestling until much later on. Uh,
2: What do you mean by not having the zeal for stand up comedy?
1: Um, I just my heart wasn't in it as much as I. Um, thought it was. I liked the idea of doing comedy, but the um, mechanical aspect of writing comedy um, and then pursuing opportunities in comedy, I just didn't quite have the the, the heart for that, the spark for that. I think anything, s- certainly anything in terms of performance, um, in order to get anywhere unless you're very lucky or, or privileged in some way. Uh, if you don't have that drive for it, like a, a, a real burning passion for it, um, you're probably not gonna get anywhere. And, and that, that's what it was like for me. I tried my hands at it after sort of growing up, dreaming about it and realized that, yeah, this just doesn't quite speak to me. I do miss the idea sometimes like every now and then I think maybe I would go to an open mic night or something. Um, But compared to other things I would go on to do. um, Like I don't have a fraction of the the passion for it that I do for anything, any of the other stuff I do.
2: Obviously one of those things is, is is the YouTube and the media stuff that you do. Um, Like that's a really strange one to, to fall into when you're looking to go into the world of stand-up comedy, and then you realise that's not really your bag. Uh, to to gravitate into something that would have still been, I mean, compared to where we're at now, like in the early days of 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 online media, like w- how did you move into that line of work?
1: Um, so I used to just uh, I, I I used to love to write, um, just in general. Uh, it's a skill that's dropped off as, as the ADHD has like just completely distracted me from being able to do anything that requires sitting down and concentrating uh, but growing up that's where my real sort of passion was originally was writing um, so I used to just as a hobby write video game reviews and stuff like that because I really liked games I like to write so I've always approached um playing a video game from a critical standpoint i love to i like to talk about games and write about games and think about them outside of just um being entertained by them every time i play a game i'm analyzing it as well which is a little it's very nerdy Um, but it's it's you know gives me a, a sense of enjoyment and eventually i i Once I was done with college and and didn't have a job or qualifications that would get you a job because I'd studied drama for two bloody years, I realised I needed work. Um, And a friend of mine suggested, like, you write really good video game reviews. Why not see if you can pursue a a career in that? Uh, This friend had also worked on the... um, notoriously awful uh, Mortal Kombat ripoff game Tattoo Assassins and was able to give me a lot of interesting stories about its development. So I was able to pitch that um, to IGN uh, for their sort of subscription site, like members only site at the time. So that was my sort of foot in the door. And then I pursued opportunities from there. Um, So I just sort of fell into it um, due to a friend's suggestion. And and sort of getting that little, having that nice
2: little story I could sell. Uh, in terms of video games, because that's another big another big love of yours. What was what would you say was one of the first video games that sparked that love for you?
1: Um, I think for me, um, two games that spoke to me a lot was. Um, two very obvious ones, actually. Uh, Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid. Um, The PSX era is, like, I I grew up before the the PlayStation 1 with, you know, the Mega Drive and, and, well, hell, I mean, I'm old enough to where I had a Spectrum and a Commodore 64 um, and really liked those. But it was playing Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid that I came to really appreciate that, what games could do as uh, a storytelling medium uh, rather than simply tests of skill and um you know like something more disposable uh something more than a toy um final fantasy 7 of course is um had a was a huge deal in in the uk because we hadn't had a final fantasy in forever um so I saw commercials for that and read about it in magazines. and was very excited for it. Uh, my first time, my first experience of it, I didn't play it. I watched my brother play it and I just sort of read. And, and that was part of what made me realize uh, games could be good um, storytelling devices is I was getting a ton of enjoyment out of this game and I wasn't even playing it. I was just watching the story like as a, as a spectator, as a passive viewer. Um, Actually, the same was true now that I think of it for Metal Gear Solid. Um, I played those games after my brother, but I got plenty of enjoyment just watching them. Uh, And that was just some good time spent with my brother as well. Um, So, yeah, definitely those two games were the ones that really lit a spark uh, in terms of seeing games as an interesting medium. Um, And then what really got me into um, spending all of my time on games was Dynasty Warriors 3, uh, on the PS2, um, which, you know, the Dynasty Warriors series is, is considered by many to be legendarily awful, but I just really liked this very straightforward hack and slash button masher game uh, that took place on this massive map where you could just mindlessly mowed down hundreds of enemies, um, and I spent so long on that game that game had like 60 playable characters and I went through methodically unlocking the weapons for all of them and maxing out all their stats and that was the first game I really um obsessively grinded towards sort of fully completing
2: there's something to be said for those games which are sort of pick up and play hack and slash where I is there like um is there still like a snobbish, the snobbishness? Do you think for games like that, which aren't designed to have like arcing storylines and are more just a case of I just want to, you know, shut my brain off for a bit and play something? Is there still a bit of a snobbishness towards that?
1: Uh, possibly. It, it's it's mm. very it's very selective,
2: because
1: especially in in the way the gaming community is these days, where everyone's arguing over there being too much politics in games, or this game got too woke, or um, you get a unique thing in the gaming community is there's a whole bunch of people who at once want games to be taken seriously as art and respected. But the moment you try and approach games through a critical lens and try and examine what they're saying, the same people that want them taken seriously will then start angrily demanding that you view it just as a game that it's just a game, it's just fun, stop like injecting um, commentary and politics and everything into it. Uh, So it's weird in that I think there's a lot of um, insecurity about potential snobbishness, predominantly from people outside of the game industry. Um, Roger Ebert was a famous example, Roger Ebert the um, uh, film critic. Uh, back in the 2000s, used to just love upsetting gamers, really. Um, we'd talk at length about how games weren't art, and people just flip their shit about that. Um, so there's a lot of insecurity there. Um, but I'm not... I don't see these days so much um, snobbishness about particular games. Um, not these days, anyway. Uh There used to be, and I guess there still is some of it, um, there's certainly some sneering towards um, some of the mainstream games. There was a a huge amount of sneering towards, like, anyone who liked Call of Duty back in the day because it was a big mainstream game. Um, And I used to be a big Call of Duty fan uh, myself and used to have people, like, look down on me for it. Um, These days, of course, I don't play it because Activision Blizzard is... uh, uh, a terribly abusive company that, that mistreated its workers to a, a horrifying, nightmarish degree. Um, but yeah, I think the, basically the gaming community has nastier problems these days and nastier mm. discussions than looking at individual games and being snobby about them.
2: You very much became you very much become a, a beacon for those in in through your channel for for, for issues like uh, Blizzard and Activision and all that went on there. Is there a pressure now to for what you're doing and the the size of the channel that you have? Is there a pressure to to be an advocate or is it something that you just grab with both hands? Uh, if you see what I mean, sort
1: of. There, there's pressure both to. Maintain the advocacy and step away from the advocacy.
2: Um,
1: Which goes back to what I was saying about the people that, you know, just want to consume games and don't want to think about them politically or socially. Um, I get a lot of pushback when I talk about, like, abuse at companies like Ubisoft and Activision. Um, I get a lot of people that, like, they don't want to feel guilty for buying games. and shoot the messenger about it. So I get a lot of people telling me that I need to stop, that I'm turning them off, I'm being too depressing. Uh, I'm making them feel bad for playing games. Um, I'm basically being a killjoy. Um, So I get a lot of pushback uh, about that. Um, And I agree, it's very depressing. Uh, I spent a lot of last year having to focus on abuse a lot. And it, it... killed me it was just every week um, something ghastly came out um, that I felt compelled to talk about um, to the point where I've had to start taking breaks for my own benefit um, like recently the the videos I've been doing are pointedly more light-hearted um, and not quite as serious uh, and then unfortunately that leads to pushback at the other end of the spectrum, where uh, recently, for example, some stuff came out about a a sexist work culture at Nintendo of America, and because I was in the middle of doing videos about this developer on Steam who had decided to try and harass me and have it hilariously backfired to the point where he got banned from Twitter and his game got removed from Steam. I had one person implying that I was protecting Nintendo because if you don't get round to a particular topic that day, that date, right now, to some people, their perception is you're never going to do it, and you're explicitly making the point that you're not going to talk about it. And in some people's minds, they then start thinking, well, you're protecting them, you're biased in their favour. Um, despite me being someone who has gone on record multiple times as saying it's morally right to pirate all of Nintendo's games, um, that's just my opinion, not the opinion of anyone on Carl Taholic. um But you can't steal from a corporation; it's called reclamation, kids. I. Uh, uh... <laughs> get that pushback a lot like there is pressure to talk about the the seedier parts of the game industry and to be um, an advocate and it's a pressure that I often put on myself because I feel obliged to talk about these things um but sometimes I do have to take the path off the boil for my own benefit and it's it is upsetting when the very second I do that, I'm criticised for, for going soft on companies.
2: It's a perfect storm, is the internet, all the time. People are finding stuff that you said weeks ago, months ago, years ago, and, and it's always uh, up for scrutiny all the time. <clears throat> the, the videos that we do here, in, in the same video I was called pro and anti-AEW. So it's like, well, I, 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 maybe maybe if you think sometimes I'm pro and anti them and maybe sometimes you think I'm pro and anti WWE, maybe I'm doing my job right. M- maybe I am because yeah. I'm, I'm walking the line and people can't quite decide which side are you on? Maybe on the side of wh- whatever's being reported. Maybe I'm not on a side at all. Maybe I'm just telling it as it is and yeah. because I'm not like ostensibly pro anything. Um, you know, as with yourself, it's a case of, you know, you report what you report, but then people will always have, people will always read into the minutia of what you say and go, wow, well, that's interesting that you didn't pull them up on that. And uh, it's why you need breaks. It's why you need yeah, breaks from absolutely. it. <laughs> I mean, never... a
1: couple of years ago, I I just sort of partially disengaged from discourse about my work and the games, um, games community discourses in general, because not only was it incredibly cyclical to the point where I've heard there's about three arguments in the gaming community and we've been having them for 20 odd years Um, and and I kind of disengaged a lot from that and I I focus a lot more in terms of online discussion and social media I focus a lot more on wrestling on um, social issues um, sort of human rights trans rights issues things like that Um, and when it comes to social media i don't talk about games very often because i'm just tired of that discourse uh, but it does it, i i am a, amused in a sympathetic way when i see uh, like i follow brian alvarez and he just for reporting viewing figures gets accused of being biased <laughs> in favor of aew or, or even wwe and every time i see him like respond with with bafflement at it i just think oh honey i <laughs> i was there for the console wars i i know this is not my first time at the rodeo i know how this goes and you can't win and no. the best thing to do is not fucking try just there's no never going to be enough proof for people who have already decided the facts
2: because the, the, the thing is, and you know, we were we were there during the console wars, and we know, like, when it comes to Nintendo versus, like, Nintendo versus the Mega Drive, the NES versus the Mega Drive, the SNES versus the Mega Drive. Yeah, the the difference being is that those are conversations that you'd have aggressively in a playground, but then you go home, you'd have sausage and mash, and you'd watch Neighbors, and uh, but whereas now, like, it's it's always there. Yeah. You pick up a rectangle, yeah. and it's always like, got there. got
1: really just sort of brutal. Um, around the time of the, the Xbox 360 and the PS3, that's when things got like, that's where things like really stepped up and, and set the course for a cyclical argument that would rage to this very day.
2: You do say you look for um, things that aren't gaming to, to, to move away from because as you say, that, that, that whole world uh, wears you down. Wrestling is one of those. And I want to get into uh, your your wonderful wrestling journey and, and the future of it uh, after we get your second match for yeah. your island. So we've had Angle and Shaver Man hoid each other through fucking glass for a little bit in Kick of the Ring 2001. What's your second match going to be, Commander? Uh,
1: my second match is uh, Edith Surreal versus Ziggy Haim. Uh, this is a mask versus hair match, uh, which was... Um, shown at enjoy wrestling which is a pittsburgh based um indie wrestling show that started um during lockdown actually they started around that sort of time um and i've worked with them before uh, i i was part of their second and third seasons of shows which are on youtube um and had the pleasure of of being there live to see, Edith versus Ziggy, who had had this storyline building up over the course of Enjoy, um, where Ziggy had stolen Edith's mask, and and, uh, which led to a costume change for Edith. And and that was interesting because Edith Surreal is like my favorite wrestler working today. She is incredible uh, and and a huge inspiration to me as a trans feminine person, Edith Surreal was uh, one of the very first examples of how I could be that I ever saw, uh, going back to her performances at Chikara. Um, And as she flourished uh, and became Edith Surreal, um, yeah, that that inspired me to a a, a way I'll never be able to fully convey. I loved her whole look, her wrestling style. Uh, I've long dreamed of of facing her. Uh, I was supposed to. um, I was weeks away from debuting with Chikara when Chikara closed its doors. Um, (sighs) And despite us working in the same state um, for uh, two years, uh, unfortunately, uh, the closest I ever got was doing a ring announcement for Edith. but I did get to see this match and, and it's available on YouTube. It's on uh, part of Enjoy Wrestling season three, uh, which they called Night Moves. Um, there's a certain very handsome star faced character uh, in the first episode of that.
2: <laughs> yes, there is. And it's certainly worth checking out for that reason. Uh, you, you hear the name I mean, this is surreal for those who uh, regularly visit Cultaholic Island. You'll know that we had still life with apricots and pears on the show during the pandemic. Uh, Mm -hmm. They very kindly took time. And again, an an inspiring figure. And I love to hear how you were inspired by Edith to to find your voice and find your way in wrestling as well. And I'm genuinely devastated we never saw the Commander in in Chikara. That just feels like a match made in heaven if there ever was one.
1: Well, that was my goal in wrestling was, I never wanted to go to WWE. Never really wanted to go to AEW. I wanted to go to Chikara. That was the end goal. And I was there. I had it. And then obviously everything fell apart. And from what's come out, probably dodged a bullet, but mm. it was still heartbreaking. And I kind of floundered um, for the rest of my time in the United States because I moved from Mississippi to Philly to work with Chikara. Um, didn't really have any other contacts in wrestling. Um, except for a couple of guys in Pittsburgh. Um, And then just sort of struggled after then because I had no direction and no end game anymore. Um, Struggled to find somewhere to train me and and get me to where I wanted to be out of that manager bracket and into a more active competitor bracket. Um, But Edith Real was still nonetheless a a huge inspiration. As you you say, um, you've had had her on the show um as still life and that's when I first um took notice um at the time um Edith had, had um, come out as non-binary and as she uh transitioned to a more feminine um presentation and uh, to become you know the, the she her that she is now um that that really hit between her and um, a uh, YouTuber called Sophie from Mars. Um, both of those people were the first examples I saw of someone who didn't necessarily um, have to I uh, um, present themselves as a trans woman per se, to be trans and have a, a feminine uh, presentation. Because in my mind, non-binary just men androgynous, which is a trap many people fall into. It's an assumption many people have. Um, so, it, Edith Surreal and Sophie from Us were the very first people I saw who were like me before I knew who I was. And that, they they sort of, between them and my husband, basically just saying, oh yeah, you're not, sis. Um, they, that, that was the, the final penny dropping was that um and so yeah uh Edith means a lot to me um as an inspiration um she's just an, an incredible wrestler and this match is a good showcase of that um she flows around an opponent you watch her with Ziggy who I'm also gonna have like tons of good things to say about um Edith, is very much a, a, an artist, well her whole persona is being a living work of art, but when it comes to submission moves, she is an artist and she does not just move you into position to lock something on. She will just like water, just fluidly swirl around someone and then they will be in a hold and it's it's just gorgeous to see in motion, um, and when you combine that with the way she uses um, her legs to, like, like the, the Ziggy-Edith match has just one of the most brutal but gorgeous looking drop kicks you could ever see. Um, just the height that Edith gets on it, uh, um, and, and gets uh, Ziggy in the back, it's just brilliant um so yeah I'm, I'm just such a huge fan of edith and ziggy Haim is someone who i got to do a little bit of work with um not in a match scenario but uh as an antagonist to her um but not as much as i'd like to uh ziggy is incredible ziggy is a um she's a smaller wrestler
2: um yeah because there's quite a size difference in her and edith oh absolutely surreal in that um, match.
1: and there's often a, a that's often the case with Ziggy. Um, you know, she, one of her many uh, names for herself is uh, the little Chihuahua girl of wrestling. Um, but what I like about Ziggy is not once ever watching one of her matches, have I ever thought it unbelievable that she could kick the ass of someone she's in the ring with. She has a um, an aura about her, um, and just at this doggedness to her persona that any disbelief one might have about the size disparity, uh, it's fully suspended. Uh, And that's she's an example of of just some of the things I love about wrestling is how bravado and performance is so much more um, important in many ways than physical ability. Um, You know, you put her in in the ring, with someone who's like six foot four, six foot five. Uh, Sure, maybe a wrestling purist would look at that and go, that's not believable. But if you're there willing to buy into a story, and for me, uh, I'm into wrestling predominantly for storytelling, you absolutely can believe it because when when ziggy goes out there she believes it and that belief is infectious um so i have never not bought into a ziggy match as a competitive match and that is a, a talent that, uh, especially in this business where people put way too much emphasis on size um that is a precious talent. Um, and this is a good example. The um, Size difference between Edith and, and Ziggy in this match is evident, clear. Um, and and there are many instances where Edith is um, overpowering Ziggy with that size and those submissions. There's but... a
2: phenomenal, like, Death Valley driver off the yes, platform yes. through a table. Yeah. It is... looks like it crushes Ziggy on the way yeah. down.
1: I mean, it's... And again, seeing that live was was quite something, Um, because, yeah, the match gets it's no DQ. It's not super violent, but there's some, you know, fun little chair spots and and stuff. And yeah, there is a bit where we've got one table set up on top of another table. Uh, Ziggy and Edith end up on top of these um, sort of sound system cases and crates. And then Edith grabs Ziggy and delivers a Death Valley driver through both tables and it looks amazing and and devastating and yeah like that's just I mean that that's the Pittsburgh wrestling scene like all over is just a lot of young people doing some wild shit but not (laughs) not to that sort of reckless irresponsible like attitude era degree um because if there's one thing i can vouch for having worked with these people and then seen these people up close is they they are taking the very best care of each other yeah. um, and i i would have had every faith that edith um would not have killed ziggy doing that spot. Um, <laughs> but that they 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 they're just really inventive up in the northeast of of the us when it comes to really big, devastating spots that are not blood and guts, death match, reckless stuff.
2: Now you say you were up close and personal for that particular match. Um, You moved to the States in 2008. What Mm -hmm. took you there? Um, I moved
1: there uh, originally to uh, get married. Um, You know, my job was online. My At the time, partner's job was online Um, and we just got to know each other through that. And yeah, things took their course that eventually I ended up traveling over there. Um, And I must have really been into her because I can't explain why I would then spend 12 years in Mississippi. I still... To the like like these days, I'm like, what were you thinking, girl? What were you thinking? Um, to say nothing of of trying to be a um a husband, which I found out since I'm not cut out for. Um, it's just not quite me. Um, but yeah, that was the original thing. And I was already employed by an American company doing writing and, and stuff in games media. So yeah. Wasn't the worst idea in the world to move to America. Um, spending that much time in the deep South Bible Belt was a bad idea, <laughs> but I did it. Um,
2: and... What is it that sticks out to you when you you think about, like, 12 years in Mississippi and, like, just how how depressed it makes you even now like what was it in particular about life there that really ate away at you you mentioned the bible belt as well is that part of it
1: Uh, there was yeah I mean obviously there's there's a lot of like it's it's a theocracy over there like it really is Um, you are default assumed um, uh, a christian not just christian but evangelical christian Um, right-wing, you know, Republican, like it's, these are just assumed about you. Um, uh, Certainly if you're white, um, I was fortunate enough to be in a straight-passing relationship um, and not a person of color, which Mississippi loved to hate, unfortunately, like bigotry really is really is prevalent, you know, like people stereotype the South. Um, But the thing is is it's uh, the stereotype is real. (laughs) It really is. Um, It wasn't even the theocracy so much that got to me, though, as the the hopelessness. Um, Mississippi is a husk um there are nice people there there are people like me there and and many of whom are stuck there um and there's nothing there there's nothing to do there there are no exciting job or career opportunities there are there's no booming industry um it's full of closed down businesses there's no certainly no nightlife or or anything like that unless you just want to drink in an apple in like a, a a chain restaurant bar um and you know as time went on I was trying to fit this role in a relationship that i was uncomfortable with in many ways some ways I couldn't put my finger on and didn't understand until much later in life um and that that relationship got not good um and and I felt like I was trapped in in that situation um I I used to always say like I am never being buried in Mississippi soil but the more time went on the less i believed that i thought i'd end my days in this humid desolate futureless place Uh, and this is to i i i don't want to insult the people of mississippi again many of whom i i very good people there and this is why i'm against people who who are like ah just screw it it's mississippi or it's alabama like just let the republicans ruin those places i'm like no because there are marginalized people there there are good people there who you'd just abandon um and and i but but abandonment is the deep south to me it's There's nothing there. And that's what hurt the most was my feeling like, this is it. This is it for me. I will wake up and do my little online job and not bother going anywhere because there's no point and die. (laughs) Not understanding why I didn't feel comfortable in my skin, why I felt physically like a monster. And socially broken, um, and then elements of my relationship as well just reinforced um, that belief that there was something wrong, like like truly like wrong with me as a person, which later it would turn out to be bullshit, but sorry I got really serious and dark here. You're all um, good,
2: you're all good. But it yeah. happens sometimes on this.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm i glad I got out. Um, when did you know you were getting out? Uh, that would have been late 2019. Um, by, by late 2018, I'd um, gotten out of that relationship um, and had spent some time now living on my own in Mississippi, not knowing what the hell to do. Um, around 2018 was when I had started doing some work in wrestling uh, in Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, I believe no one, no one from those states have ever said otherwise, but I do believe I'm the first openly queer title holder in Mississippi and Alabama in terms of wrestling. Um, I've certainly not heard of anyone else uh, but I did have the Pro Wrestling Ego Tag Titles for a bit in pro, in Mississippi and the um, like Internet Championship or, or something in Pro South in Alabama. Um, and that was as a, a, an openly queer performer. You know, I didn't hide that aspect of myself, um, either in performances or backstage. Um, so I had that going for me and then was contacted by Rise Wrestling in Pittsburgh um after a couple of years of that and would then fly out to pittsburgh to do some shows um and then would eventually get in touch with mike quackenbush at chicara discuss the possibility of that and thought well screw it like one i don't i'd always thought i'd end up in seattle because i always loved that city um but my friend and um podcast co-host of over 10 years Conrad Zimmerman uh, lives in Philly and he really wanted me to live near him and and it was so it was this nice little happy storm of um, I had a potential job opportunity opening up in wrestling in Philly it was the same state as Pittsburgh where I was already getting some work and Conrad was there so I was like if if I don't do this now I'm not getting out so I, I I have I struggle with executive dysfunction for a variety of, of issues and was terrified that because I settle into things and fail to execute that I would just give up and that I wouldn't pursue because it would feel too impossible, insurmountable or, or what have you. So once I got that possibility of, of working with shikara I was like, you know what, screw it, even if it doesn't pan out, this is my shot get out so yeah <laughs> moved to philly at the beginning of 2020 had a couple of weeks enjoying the city before everything closed down because of
2: lockdown yeah there it is this is an incredible sort of full stop on so many stories that we've had here and how and it's been fascinating to hear how everybody's lives were going in certain directions good bad ugly and different and then there's this big block In the middle, (laughs) it's like, and then the world stopped. Yeah. (laughs) And everything stopped. So you, but, but, so you were, you were there and there was nothing to do. Literally, for a year. (laughs)
1: Yeah, basically, like I moved up with my um, art director on my Jimquisition um, web show. Um, we both moved from Mississippi, went up there. Um, and like I said, like it was a really nice couple of weeks, got to see a video game burlesque show, had plans to go see all these museums, was enjoy- like finding some lovely places to eat and drink. Um, and then I'd had my meeting over at Chikara and we had this plan and lockdown had started but Chicara were doing web shows, and I was a few weeks out from contributing to that and starting up something with Edith. Uh, and then, of course, um, Chicara closed its doors because of you know all of the scandals and allegations and stuff. Um, so again, probably a bullet dodged, but it was heartbreaking nonetheless. And then I was still doing some work in Pittsburgh. Uh, So I'd sort of take a really long train journey from Philly to, it was like an eight hour train journey from um, Philly to Pittsburgh. Uh, But I loved Rise Wrestling and all the guys over there. And they had me working as sort of, I was in the evil general manager role and everything. Um, So I enjoyed, you know, just healing it up because I was always a heel in the US. Um, But in the two years I spent in Philly, I had worked in New York Pittsburgh and New Jersey I have never worked in Philly I have ne- I, I moved to Philly to wrestle in Philly I have never worked in Philly
2: everywhere but Philly by this yeah. point so
1: I got a couple other opportunities you know I got to know Enjoy Wrestling who I mentioned mm-hmm. um who are also Pittsburgh based and I I love them and I I plan to go back especially now that I'm I'm way more trained because you know i left the united states with only a choke slam to my name and now i've got a full you know move set and experience and and everything so i plan to go back um as the you know this former cowardly manager who is now a very genuine fucking threat
0: <laughs> um
1: and i know that i'm welcome back there so that door's open and i fully plan to go back uh, to enjoy um but yeah had some opportunities but but i struggled to I really struggled to get over with the the crowd. I could draw because I had fans, but the wider Pennsylvania wrestling scene just didn't quite get me. Um, something about me was not really connecting with a lot of them. And, and despite how I look and sound, I somehow managed to be forgettable. And I'll never quite understand that. But like whenever I was on shows, like when reviews would like recap a show or... Podcasts would talk about a show either enjoy or Ren V Young's Polyam cult party shows that I'd do. Like, I wouldn't get mentioned. Um, and the very few places that might have mentioned me, and this was the real, like, like kicker, was, like, actual LGBTQ plus um, podcasts and, and, and reviews and things would misgender me because they cared so little they didn't even bother to do anything but assume I was a bloke. Um, So that was, that was hurtful. Um, And these were not people doing it on purpose. These were people that would get the pronouns uh, right for everyone else. You know, these were people that were already experienced talking about um, folks like Max the Impaler. Um, These were people that, these were not people that did not understand gender identity and and LGBTQ plus stuff. Some of them were indeed queer themselves. but I struggled to get anyone to give a shit. Um, and that was just sort of the the extreme end of it, just the, the real example of just how little I was getting anywhere. Uh, I was really struggling to find opportunities. And, and this is nothing against uh, Enjoy Wrestling, um, Rise Wrestling or Wrestlers Lab. Uh, who I was due to work with before I moved back to the UK, all three of whom treated me incredibly well um, and and just gave me so much fun stuff to work with and do. Um, and, you know, I, I can't just blame the community. I don't know what I could have done better to have better put myself over. I was going
2: to ask you that. I didn't know whether in the time since then, whether you kind of found the key that unlocked that mystery as to why somebody who was performing the way that you do and it's it's very obvious when commander sterling's in the room why it wasn't connecting with that audience. It's a real it's a real unusual one. Did you ever come close to cracking it?
1: Uh, I mean I have theories, I have ideas. I I know that culture-wise the Pennsylvanian wrestling scene like does have some very clear-cut ideas of of what good talent is um, There's there's a very Sort of clear idea of What an indie wrestler Should be and look like I mean this is where Lee Moriarty came from mm-hmm. um, This is where Envy Young Performs like, like Amazing Fucking wrestlers But they were Predominantly sometimes exclusively Who that crowd wanted to see People like that And I'm not like that I'm you know, at the the risk of, of aggrandizing, no one looks like me and no one sounds like me in wrestling, like straight up. Um, and I have seen, you know, people responding to me. I've heard people responding to me with like, well, what is that? Like, like, what is this? I don't get it. Um, yeah, I, I just think if you're used to a certain type of wrestling and then you see this, you know, huge spandexed star faced cackling supervillain um I think that could have been part of it also because um that part of the world is so focused on the wrestling itself Mm. and I at the time was a manager who sometimes did a bit of very protected gimmicked wrestling on the side um I think I struggled to because I I always worked best with storyline and narrative because I couldn't just go out there and tell an in-ring story and go home um so it was harder to sell myself um but even given those opportunities I think people were were focused way more on the in-ring action than whatever might be going on outside it or in between it so that could have been it uh there was also the fact that I mean I've always thought I was A great heel to the point where I never imagined ever being anything else but if we look at results like (laughs) I only became successful in wrestling as a face in, in in the UK like like I still want to when I go back to the US I still want to be a heel you know do the whole Bret Hart thing why not um Plus, I've got some good narrative reasons to be a very bitter <laughs> heel in the in the US. Um, but you know, maybe the fact that I actually wrestle wrestle now will get me over there more. Mm. Um, so I think it might be a combination.
0: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot bot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance? United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: It's just so funny to hear you like, talk about how how you would to um, be a heel in in America, and you kind of thought you know people would sort of gravitate to a heel over here, but. Um, The the, the video that that you shared around quite a lot recently is your debut at North Wrestling. And it genuine to to see that, I mean, Matthew and I reacted to that, but to see that, it looked like it caught you by surprise. The sheer ovation that you got when you walked out in a UK ring, did it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like it's still one of the most memorable things and will remain one of the most memorable highlights of, of whatever my career may end up looking like um nothing's gonna take that away i knew i was gonna go out um as a face um because north were very much like we've seen we saw the ticket sales when you were announced we got feedback after you were announced for for this show there's no way you're going to be able to go out there as a heel. There's no way you can pull that off. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm not truly comfortable with it because I don't have that experience, and I never imagined wanting to or, or doing it. But you know, willing to try. And then I walked out there, and the room just exploded to a degree that, again, like my experience before North was I'd come out and get a couple cheers from like some fans of my YouTube work that would turn up uh some boos from people that you know would at least knew who I was or knew that I was a heel and therefore should be booed um but mostly like not great reactions not 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 yeah like like not I never went out to like cold heat or anything I never went out when it was dead but I never got hugely impassioned reactions um and to go from that sort of lukewarm response to holy shit I I can't hear myself because of the noise um yeah that that moment where I I sort of get the mic and just stutter like, that's better than anything I got in America. Like that was genuine. <laughs> um, and then I never liked the line I said after that, which was something like, I'll drop the heel shit because I, it makes me cringe, but like things I'd planned to say were just like, I had nothing else because I, I just didn't, I was overwhelmed uh, and trying to keep my composure and trying to maintain a sense of character. Um, I think it worked. For the promo and the atmosphere of the night, I don't think it. I I don't look at any of it as me feeling like being overwhelmed stopped me performing or doing my job. I think it added to it uh, to make a very genuine moment. Um, but absolutely, and the same happened the, the my second appearance as well. Um, my my friend Laura um, Laura Kate Dale, who is an um, author and and streamer and then um another co uh podcaster of mine co-host uh, had brought a sign um sort of this massive commander sterling flag and then other people had brought signs and everyone's just started chanting yes commander and there's a bit where again i just sort of just mutter into the mic just fucking hell yeah and, and it, <laughs> again genuine like just overwhelmed and had to express it in some way um and then, of course, since then, it's it's been not every night I've had um, at various promotions has been that level, um, but most of them have been immensely positive. Um, recently, I debuted for Resurgence, and that that one rivals the North debut from the simple fact that fans who knew commander stunning had turned up and there was a really good pop for me coming out um but it was a rumble entrance so i i came out um we had gene money in there mercedes blaze um man like Doris and um uh, Trave, spike Treve, and i just ran out hit my wheel kick um, my little gut punch sequence did a Uh, second rope clothesline and my planet cracker um in quick succession um and i took a lot of people by surprise because i'm not like i'm not a quick person but i'm way quicker than i look like i should be as someone who's you know six four and um pretty fucking wide Um, and then i I was due to be in that rumble match a lot longer than I was, but I was like, in order for this to work, I need to be eliminated almost as soon as I turn up, which meant less ring time for me, but I also knew I'd get over better with less time. So we rearranged the rumble a bit. So I went out, hit my moves, grabbed the mic, then did that spiel I do, my big ring announcement, all my lists of titles and nicknames and whatnot. And that's where it got me. Like, this is where it was a different reaction to North, but rivals it because the people who didn't know who I was, in that two minutes and 30 seconds I had, Mm -hmm. I felt the entire room, like, turn to get with me. And understand what I'm about and again this is something I never got to have in America where I'm and again it might come down to me not having that I didn't have that face persona I didn't have this big promo spiel that I do now um so yeah I I felt the 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 room go from yes I got a good reaction to oh now everyone is in on this everyone knows this character and gets it and you know, was getting a huge laugh, and then I did this huge spiel, and then Mercedes Blaze just tipped me over the ropes afterwards for the the comic effect of doing this massive explosive debut, massive promo, over we go, while I've still got the mic yelling stop eliminating me. Um, And then found out, like, afterwards that I was one of the most talked about aspects of that night with that little window of time. Uh, And that's that's something I I'm sort of keeping in mind as well. Like I've learned from there, like you can do a lot with a little.
2: Yeah. Less is more, isn't it? As they yeah, say, absolutely less is more. And, uh, and looking ahead though, all of this, this, this resurgence for you at resurgence and at North has inspired you to, to do something even bigger. So let's talk about spectrum wrestling. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I, um, you know, The success I've had this year has been mind-blowing, just as a wrestler, you know. I went from someone who never thought they'd be able to do anything other than, like, two or three-minute gimmicky joke matches to meeting Liam Slater at PPW and genuinely, like, becoming if not a great wrestler a very fucking entertaining wrestler
2: and Liam Uh, Slater's played a big role in that we should really give him absolutely because Liam Slater's a phenomenal worker isn't he Mm -hmm.
1: um yeah yeah I can't praise him enough like he got me doing things physically that I never thought possible like the very first lesson we had he had me doing like I was rolling around and and like um yeah just doing little rolling and dodging and flipping like stuff that I you know, as, as a, a, an unfit 38 year old chronic pain sufferer, never thought I'd uh, be able to do, but his belief in my ability to do it, like got me to the point where I am now, um, yeah, doing like, like flipping head over heels without any like hand assistance or anything just going over and and everything, which again, at my size, like really takes people by surprise and is sort of part of what, is helping to make me work as a performer is that sort of surprise element. Um, but yeah, yeah, Liam is incredible. Um, and thanks to him, I've, you know, I'm booked up till November currently and already have long-term stuff beyond that. And during that time, I we we're also, um, and this this is something I wanted to do way back in Philly when I had no opportunities and thought, screw it, I'll make them um I wanted to run a show in Philadelphia um you know book people who I did know and and see if I could run something um obviously I moved back to the UK before that happened but we the idea never left and not long after I got back to the UK I was unsure if things would go the way they'd gone for me in in Pennsylvania with regards to getting attention getting over like like things were going pretty well at North but I'd had that kind of a blow to my confidence um um sort of a couple uh, months in um where I I just felt like I wasn't going to get any real opportunities beyond that and my husband Phoenix was um pretty much like no fuck that I'm gonna put a ring under your feet um and really inspired me and, and drove me to um start talking about Spectrum Wrestling which was the name I always wanted for it uh, if I ever did a promotion uh so funnily enough as we planned this over months, I did get those opportunities. So now I get to have like the best of both worlds where I get to have all these bookings, but also can still create my own opportunity, not just for myself, but for others as well, which is a big exciting part of Spectrum for me. Um, So we spoke with uh, Nathan Black, who uh, owns Pursuit Pro Wrestling, where Liam trains me. Uh, they have a wonderful facility there, um, with a ring with a professional studio lighting system. Um, they do house shows there for the the trainees that they can that they film, so they can be used for vignettes and stuff. So that they have the wrestlers have experience and have footage of themselves to show people, and they always look so slick and professional. Oh, cool. And for me, there was n- no better place to try our first show. It's a smaller venue, but much. Uh, less risk involved in that. We don't need a lot of people um, to turn up to have a nice atmosphere. Um, the ring's already there, it looks gorgeous. We know Nathan and he's, you know, um, was really helpful in, in in getting us set up there. Um, we have, you know, the experience of, of guys like Liam, who's just, who's not like super duper involved in anything creative or anything. Um, by his choice um but has been invaluable for just giving little bits of advice here and there because liam is as smart as smart gets when it comes to the business you know um so yeah uh basically my my partner and i co-founded a a, a wrestling promotion uh, i don't know how, uh, what we'll do after this show but we're just seeing how it goes um and we, we set up this show, which we've called Rejoice uh, on September 24th in Sheffield uh, at the South Bank warehouse, the, the PPW facility there. Um, and over the course of the months, getting those other bookings, I've gotten to meet uh, more wrestlers and, and see a lot of, of um, talent. Because I'm so new to the UK scene still, that there's a lot of talent I didn't know. So getting those other bookings was invaluable in seeing and meeting new people and and getting to see what they're all about. Like Resurgence, like I I met Mercedes-Blaze for the first time there, Um, was blown away by her performance and by just how lovely she is. Um, So there and then like Phoenix and I was like, should we just ask her if she wants to be on the show? Like, yeah, yes. Yes, please. Uh, so we 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 booked her there and then, um, and then, you know I got to got to know um, people like Gene Money and a man like Therese Gia Adams, um, Harley Hudson, who I'm I'm a big fan of, um, who I met the first time at uh, PCW's Pride of the Ring, uh, which was the first the UK's first um, first ever Pride show. Um, I got to wrestle her, and that was, that was great. So I absolutely wanted her. Um, and w- what, what's rewarding to me about doing my own show now is getting to put together a card of talent that I'm proud as hell of. Um, the card I have that Phoenix and I put together, I am so pleased with. I, I the, the, the suite of matches we have is is it's exactly what I would want out of a show with the the UK talent we have. this is a show I w- would want to sit down and watch. and we have the benefit not just of of, of knowing um, big UK names, but the, the family and I would go to PPW's in-house shows. Um, whenever they did them so we got to see new talent we got to see fresh graduates we got to see um, people who either have not had any bookings anywhere else or are only just starting so in addition to uh big names um we have we're able to put together matches no one's ever seen like at the first ever spectrum wrestling match is man like de versus axel the clown
2: um, you haven't seen it anywhere else? No, I'm trying to think if I have. I don't think I don't think anyone else has put that that on.
1: And like, to me, like that speaks to the tone I want to set with this in the I don't want to put on the best wrestling in the country. I don't want that. There are half a dozen promotions out there who just want to put on the best wrestling in the country. I want to put on the most entertaining wrestling in the country. And I think there's a difference. Not that wrestling skill isn't entertaining, but I think there's just so much more to wrestling than raw skill. And I think that's something UK wrestling uh, needs more of um, because a lot of UK wrestling is very focused on the technical aspects of wrestling, which is very valid. But I'm an American. (laughs) i'm an american and i and and i have worked very american shows and i'm not saying one's necessarily better than the other what i'm saying is as a british american i'm in a wonderful position where i have experience of both both styles now i i know what I know what's so good about British indie wrestling. I know what's so good about American indie wrestling. And that's what I'm trying to bring with Spectrum. Um, I'm not going to be like, oh, there's no one like us. We're doing something different because any new promotion like says that. And at the end of the day, we're all still just putting on a wrestling show. But where our differentiating factor is, is we get to put established talent with brand new talent and have matches you haven't seen before and have characters um, be a big focus of the show. Uh, again, this is one of the benefits of, of getting to see PPW's talent um, and getting to train alongside some of these people is a lot of the of that crop of, of performer has gone big on character and gimmick, which in other areas of the UK, you don't see too much of. Um, it's a lot of uh straight laced hard hitting um wrestler wrestlers uh which is awesome but you anyway, know i i'm i like the the tackiness the silliness the, the we're quite color. similar
2: in that sense like we both like how what's the phrase that i use quite a lot um wrestling is inherently bollocks right? yes yes and, and once you lean into that then the world is yours yes. to do with it what you will. And that is, that is the kind of wrestling that excites me. The idea that you can create this multiverse. There's no real rules and guidance. You do what you want with it. And I like how this card is being put together. You're on it as well. You're facing Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll see faces on there that are characters. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to think that if the promotion continues, there might be more of a, a sort of a Shakara type Uh, that is honestly
1: one of the when when i've been asked like like what do you want for this my dream is in terms of style and 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 content is to be the uk shikara like i would love that um i don't know how much of the uk wrestling scene or how many of the uk wrestlers want to be part of that um but i think by establishing as quickly as we have, like people like, like, like the freak show, Axel, the clown and freaky Felicia um, gentleman, Jim Maguire, this, this sort of dapper top hat wearing Morris dancer, who we pit against the rat Axel Strife, who is the most adorable goblin of a man. I absolutely, I, I fucking love Axel Strife. Um, <laughs> had the pleasure of fighting him before um, he's, it's just amazing, and his Greg's loving ass, like <laughs> in a a T party death match with Gentleman Jim Maguire, like oh, that's perfect. No. That's one of the matches where I'm like, I was worried we wouldn't get get it put together because we were struggling to get hold of of Jim. Axel was all about it, um, but we we couldn't get hold of Jim, and it was getting close to the wire, and I was like yeah there are like way bigger marquee names that we that we're gunning for but this is the money match for me yeah this is the match
2: you have those guys who can bring in like the audiences like man like Doris, who's got such an amazing following and gene money and the like but when they're in the building they're introduced to the tea party death match so you come for Gene, money, and man like Darice. You stay for the Tea Party Deathmatch, exactly. As my granddad used to say, <laughs> yeah, exactly I, that.
1: And that—that's my hope—is because, you know, I—I'm an Attitude Era girl when it comes to wrestling. Um, and a lot of people talk about what made the Attitude Era so great. Um, I, my, in my opinion, what made the Attitude Era so great was it had. Such a strong mid card. That to me is what made it work. And a lot of people like, like, seem to brush past that. This was a time when every week people would tune in to see Tukul and Rikishi do their dance, the Godfather do his whole spiel with the Ho train, Val Venus come out and say something, you know, filthy. Um, there was this core of, incredibly memorable, vibrant, uh, character-driven mid-card wrestlers. Um, that's what all of the memorable main event stuff was built on top of. Sure, um, people would turn up, like you say, they turn up for a big name, they turn up to see The Rock. But when they were in the building, they were losing their shit for the New Age Outlaws you know, like getting in on that audience participation with them. Um, These, there were things you'd see at every show that people tuned in to see and and they wanted to see it every single time. Um, And that's something, that's a philosophy that I um, keep in mind with Spectrum is, yeah, you want big main events, You want big main event. And we've got a great main event. We've got G Adams and Mercedes Blaze. Like, I'm so proud of that main event. Um, Like, just two of the the best. Oh, absolutely. UK wrestling. Um, But the most fun I've had in terms of putting a card together has been um, Darius versus Axel, the Tea Party death match. Um, Even though I hate my intern for having booked them, uh, I have had fun, um, you know, working with with um, figuring the landed gentry into the show. You know, I am I pleased that we've booked a couple of Tory swats. No, <laughs> but since our intern did it, they are perfect foils Zionox oh, and Benji are, are very very good at what they do mm. uh, and that is being detestable pricks um, <laughs> so getting that that mid card together having the the tea party death match like that yeah that that is um that's the reward for me and that's what I want I don't want just I don't want people to just turn up for the main event. I want people to turn up knowing that they are going to have a flamboyant, colorful bollocks evening. As you say,
2: wrestling is bollocks. Wrestling is and bollocks. I want to
1: have, you know, I want to have the most entertaining bollocks in professional wrestling.
2: <laughs> That's what I want. What I love is that when you talk about it and you can always read these, when you, you do these over zoom, especially when you talk about it, you light up. Uh, and I think that sells, Many into the room more than anything else. This is clearly something that, oh gosh, you're brimming with passion for. So let's, let's, we've talked them into the room. When is it? Where is it? Where can people get tickets? Yeah. Let's do all of that good stuff.
1: Absolutely. So, um, September 24th in Sheffield at the South Bank Warehouse, the PPW facility, uh, we are hosting Rejoice, uh, which will have a doors open time of six. The bell time is 7, so get there for 7. We will have it streaming on Twitch for our international viewers or people that can't make it live. Uh, That is at twitch.tv slash Jim Sterling. We'll have a pre-show for that starting at 6.30 to introduce people to the talent and and talk about the show. Uh, Tickets are available at... um, I always forget the the site. Buy tickets.at slash spectrum wrestling buy tickets dot at slash spectrum wrestling um yeah uh uh, if you can turn up please do like i i i want it to be a success um not just um not just because it would be nice to not lose too much money uh (laughs) but because of of what i said about about building a, a strong mid card about um Giving opportunities to brand new talent and, and talent that's struggling to get seen because I know how that feels. I know how it feels to struggle to get over and to be in an atmosphere where, like, my kind of character is perhaps not working for the crowd. Um, I want a place where, like, the outlandish and and flamboyant and camp and, and silly and fun um, can flourish. That's what I want. Um, so I really I do hope it's a success. Uh, I you know. I'm looking forward to meeting folks who turn up. Plus we have really nice wristbands that Phoenix made. They're like these lovely- Seen them, they're lovely. They got a little bead fastener on it that changes color in the sun. I mean, what more do you want (laughs) than that, people?
2: What more do you need? What do I need to do? you have got sun changing wristbands. damn it um we will we'll do that one more time before we go but we've got your final match commander yes. for your yes. desert island what would you like it to be hang on let's just do a quick recap Shane mcmahon and uh Kurt angle oh uh, one ziggy haim and and uh, and uh edith, edith surreal. surreal there it is i was getting there I promise uh so bangers all round what's your third and final one commander
1: oh it's the the bangiest banger that ever did bang <laughs> Chris Champion versus Don Valentine.
2: Whoa, okay. Now you're gonna to have to run this one by people who might not be familiar with these two uh, <laughs> delectable people.
1: D- Don Valentine is my biggest inspiration in wrestling for two reasons. One, everything I know not to do, I know from watching Don Valentine. <laughs> And two. If he can do it, I can fucking <laughs> it. Jesus Christ! Um, this
2: this is a now. If, correct me if I've got this wrong. Uh, this is this. You can watch this on YouTube. It is yep. about two minutes and thirty seconds long. Yep. Yeah. Two minutes twenty
1: nine <laughs> seconds long. They couldn't even get to thirty. It's an AWA.
2: Uh, oh, it's, it's an AWA match of the Superstation.
1: Yep. Um, <laughs> you got Chris Champion who's.
2: I know what what we should do. I know what we should do, uh, Commander, if you'll indulge me. Right. So, this match is on the YouTube channel, right? It's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Look up Chris Javi versus Don Valentine. Are you in a position, Stephanie, to to find that match and look and put it up on your screen right now?
1: Oh, it's on my screen right now.
2: Right. Okay. So, we are now, this is where the, the first time ever Desert Island Graps becomes a watch along. So <laughs> you can use the link in the, in the podcast down there, or you can search Chris Champion versus Don Valentine uh, as uh, as Commander Sterling and I uh, are going to talk you through it moment by moment, all blistering two minutes and 30. Uh, we'll give you a second to find it right now. Welcome back. Right. This is exciting. All Chris right, I'm thrilled. Champion versus Don Valentine. Your third match for your desert island on go Commander, we'll press play yeah. at the same time in three, two, one, go. Right, okay,
1: well, so the legend, Don that's, Valentine. That's Shivani
2: on the call as well. So Shivani's oh, yeah. having a I great think it's day. Tim
1: Ross as well. Um, for some backstory, Chris Champion has promised a special surprise in this match. <laughs> He's building up to a huge surprise. Was it that chop right there? Devastating Was that a surprise? Uh, Don Valentine, his idea of bumping isn't anyone else's idea of bumping <laughs> he he just sort of falls in the most he falls gracelessly by falling standards it's amazing with his little sky blue singlet in his hair he looks like he can, <laughs> yeah. this is another amazing thing about don valentine they they pit a guy in chris champion who mostly does kicks against a guy with a phobia of feet near his <laughs> <laughs> he does not let a foot get near his face. This and is just sort of crumples when a foot goes near him. He looks. Like, <laughs> his look is amazing. He looks like if you bought Jeff Jarrett from a car boot sale.
2: <laughs> when your mum says no, we've got Ric Flair at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my Another God. Devastating. Oh. <laughs> that was. He didn't crumble.
1: He, he, he didn't fall. He crumbled. Yeah. He just sort of collapses. And. Oh. He, he's not selling kicks because the kicks aren't going near his face. But it, you could almost believe that, that Don Ballantyne is so shit that he is getting knocked out by the air that's generated when a foot breezes past his
2: face. We're not saying enough about the look of Chris Champion. That, that is a mullet that oh, it's a should, win, should win awards.
1: Oh, yeah. Pat Sharp feels emasculated looking it, at that man. It's a
2: bit like if Pat Sharp was a wrestler. Oh here we go, his famous. Oh, the big surprise. Is is this the surprise? Yep. <laughs> the crane kick. <laughs> the
1: most awkward, wobbly, imbalanced crane kick, kick you could ever no! hope to me. What I love about that crane kick, though, is not only is the fact that he's bouncing up and down, desperately trying to keep his balance. Do a replay, why not? Yeah. Now, you watch this kick, right? I'm watching. After a match of Don avoiding them, champion was like, fuck you. This is my big surprise, Don Valentine. You're not ruining this for me. So he just punts
2: him in the chin well that was of all the matches that was the thing that happened that was exciting i love that bless bless don valentine don who- valentine my hero <laughs> i
1: mean you'd say why i'd want to watch that one again and again
2: oh I, I i'm with you i'm with you do you know what there is no topic that is uh you know i as the guy i have seen some classics you know i did the biggin in wigan and that is, that, that's up there. That's up there. Um, that's a special treat. And
1: Don Thank Valentine you. is a, a, an international treasure.
2: It's, it's, it's the, you know, the, the only other classy Valentine, the only other classy Don is Perignon, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. And there's not much between them. Uh, Commander Stephanie Sterling, it has been an honour and a privilege to be in your company for the last hour or so. Uh, where can people keep up to date with everything that you're doing? Yes,
1: certainly. Um, So, yeah, you can catch me at various promotions. Um, my next obvious booking is Spectrum Wrestling in Sheffield. Uh, I am also at Sovereign Pro Wrestling in Manchester. This is Shotty Horror's new promotion in Manchester. That's October 1st. I'm in a, an eight-person elimination match that also features Simon Miller and Kid Bandit. So that that match is just going to be huge. Uh, I am in Blackpool with PCW on October 8th, where I'll be facing Simon Miller one-on-one, which is a match seven years in the making. Um, we have I've got some other bookings, but i not Like all the way through to November. I can't remember which ones I'm allowed to say or not now. Um, But all throughout the year I'm at avant-garde wrestling as well um, resurgence loads of places. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim Sterling same goes for YouTube. I'm Jim Sterling there. I have a Patreon that supports my stuff. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. I also stream which until I get internet set up at my new house I've been unable to but I stream at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling which is where you will also be able to watch spectrum wrestling's rejoice live on september 24th uh, at uh, 7 p.m uk time buy tickets dot at spectrum wrestling thank you so much
2: i love how busy you are
1: i it's
2: i'm sure you do too
1: <laughs> it makes a change from america i right? i actually told myself if i moved to the uk and it's the same situation of, of not going anywhere and having opportunities it would be my last year in wrestling i'm like i was like if it comes to 2022 and i still feel the same way i am out and you know what at my age and and bodily um, capacity i do not know how many years i've got uh honestly genuinely don't know as as an in-ring competitor but i know it's going to be more than one now
2: we will rejoice for as long as we have you commander stephanie sterling thank you for taking a trip to cultaholic island Thank you so
1: much. Thank you. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure.
0: Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades. But it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. So before you update your closet this summer, take a look at American Giant. From hoodies and T-shirts to denim and more, They've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for summers to come. American Giant is made in the USA. That ensures that they can deliver items of exceptional quality. But it also creates jobs across the country. You're not just buying clothes that last. You're helping create a lasting change in the communities where they're made. And a connection to the seamsters, cutters, and factory workers who make them. Discover the American Giant difference today shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Promo code LT23.
1: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.